With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as not as always, by Mr. Marco Lopez. How are you, sir? I'm good, Dave. I'm good. Super, have, super happy to be on. Yes, and we are super happy to have you. We have put Matchett squarely in the bin for this part of the podcast. He'll be on later for the second half, but <laughs> he's he's not here for now. Guy had had enough of him, and Guy rules with an iron fist around here. So he said that his mockery of uh, of Middlesbrough and and the comments he made about Albi Moreno on the most recent podcast were unacceptable. So uh, Matchett is on a half-pod suspension. <laughs> but I have Marco here to talk about Benfica. Liverpool faced Benfica in the Champions League this week, as you'll all be aware. And there's nobody better. Nobody knows more about the club than Mr. Lopez. So Marco, just your initial thoughts when the draw was made. This must be like picking between your kids. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is picking between my kids. Uh, for, for people who don't know, you need to understand that, uh, I grew up in this like staunch Portuguese family. So Benfica, anyone who knows any typical Portuguese family will always have a club they've, they've picked and, and they stick to. Uh, but I was a bit odd. I got into, I didn't sort of grow up with a love of football initially. Uh, there's only one club that can be blamed for actually making me fall in love with football. And that's the other team I support. So, uh, Liverpool sort of got me very much to fall in love, uh, with football to the extent that then, you know, whenever these two bump into each other, 2006, 2010, I hate it. I hate it with a passion. So when they were drew, the, the, the funny thing is I wasn't even watching the draw and then all of a sudden my phone blew up. And when I looked, this is all Twitter and Discord, I thought, great, this is exactly what I didn't want. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. For most Liverpool fans, this is one of the draws they were looking at. Objectively and makes sense. Yeah, of course, yeah. because, you know, if we're being honest, Benfica and Villarreal on paper are the weakest teams left in the competition. But for me, I really wanted this draw, not because I, I view Benfica as a weak team, but because they're a European giant. Like, when people talk about the biggest clubs in Europe, Benfica rarely got mentioned anymore. But it's a two-time European Cup winner, 37-time 
Premier League winner, the biggest club in Portugal, an enormous global fan base. Yeah. It's just that the Portuguese league, for weird reasons, is disrespected, despite the fact it's a better league than the French league. Yeah. And despite the fact that Benfica earned their status among the elite, as did Porto and Sporting, to their credit, by actually winning things. Whereas a club like PSG, they bought their way to the elite. Benfica and Porto earned it the right way. And and for me, whenever we play either of them, it does excite me because I, I think they are both European royalty. And I, that's why it's exciting. It is exciting. And I think also when you when you look at uh I, I, I have to give the, the, you know, Ajax a hell of a lot of credit. I don't know if people got to see it, but when, when Benfica and Ajax got drawn together in the round of 16, there was such a wonderful touch that the Ajax uh, social media team put together around, you know, how the, there's this lovely ad. Uh, you've got these two fans sort of facing up and listing all the achievements and all the legacy and, you know, all the legends. And, you know, obviously you draw the comparisons around all the different things that both clubs have done. It was a lovely touch. So, it's 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 a matter of unfortunate economical circumstance, I think, that fundamentally puts these teams where they are. Uh, because make no mistake, like without those PSG millions, with all due respect to PSG, what other French league side would you be talking about? Yes, you've got Lyon punched uh, punched above their weight in, the, in in a couple of years. Make no mistake. Um, Monaco reached the Champions League. What last final was uh, the one against Porto, ironically, in in two thousand four. Yeah, so it's not the, the the comparisons aren't actually dissimilar. I think just you know France by by virtue of PSG plus a couple of other things sort of uh, uh, gets a little bit more credit than maybe it's due sometimes. Uh, I can tell you that all the Portuguese media on Twitter, for example, will make will never make light of the fact that Portugal's very on a coefficient level is always very close to France, uh, has been ahead in times, and yet uh, when people talk about the big five leagues, Portugal's never mentioned. So. Uh, it's it, it's good to, it's good to hear you give it credit, Dave, because there's a lot of Portuguese media who would sympathise with your your words. I would much rather watch Portuguese football than French football. I think French football is seen as this hotbed for talent, and rightly so. Yeah, agreed. so is Portugal. Like, think of the top teams in the Premier League. Look at Manchester City, top of the Premier League, and there are three of their most important players are Portuguese. Liverpool, Diogo Jota. Manchester United, Bruno Fernandes. Even, you know, you go a bit further down, like you've got Wolves with their massive Portuguese influence. Yeah. The the level of talent in the Portuguese team, and we were talking about this before we came on air, one of the reasons that the Portuguese aren't taken or given the respect that they deserve is because they're being held back by one player who egotistically won't retire, but he is damaging <laughs> the prospects of the team because when we look at what Portugal could have, it's all ruined by the fact that he is going to be there. You can, know, we, there's... can we qualify this a little bit? Because, you know, a lot of people might sort of uh, uh, effectively say things like, you know, cause, cause yes, they can look at Ronaldo's scoring record and say that, you know, he does all these, uh, these, these things. I, I need to, to stress at a national team level, um, because that, that's a layer that I look at. Otherwise, I, I do not like this guy for, for obvious reasons. 
the reality is that Ronaldo, it's, it's more the impact that he has on other careers around him. Uh, I look at someone like, let me pick on, on, on a couple of the players that he's keeping sort of, uh, uh, on the shelf now. Players like Jean Felix, who, yes, okay, biased with a bit, with the Benfica element, but Jean Felix is a super talented kid. He needs game time to develop. People like Gonzalo Gage are not even in the frame because, you know, they, they, there can't be any room made for him. Uh, then you and, and look at your past. Uh, I look at someone like Andre Silva, who I don't think is a terrible nine, but I certainly think that a lot of what, what the roles that he could have occupied in national teams in the past have been underplayed by the fact that, well, you, here's the first name in the team sheet. Now everything has to be picked around him. And it doesn't always work. It doesn't always cycle together because he also doesn't necessarily fit uh, the way that some of these other players work around him. So it's it's very very limiting when when you look at the talent pool that they have which this is the most talented set of 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 players we've, that Portugal have actually had since that golden generation that's often spoken about uh if you, if you really look at it carefully it's it's that good i completely agree and you know i look at someone like rafael leao one of the most exciting young players in europe yeah not getting the game time joao felix the same those two and jota as a front three would be spectacular. A midfield comprising of Bruno, Bernardo, Paulinha, Ruben Neves, Renato Sanchez should be as formidable as anything going. And obviously there's some real promise in defence with the likes of Canseo, Ruben Diaz, Thiago Jalo, and a, a plethora of good right backs, plus Nuno Mendes, the spectacular young left back, yeah. And I didn't even mention Pedro Concalves from Sporting, who's sensational, Pedro Neto, yeah. Trinkiao. <laughs> like, there's so much talent. And yet, because Cristiano wants to do his thing, and look, he does score the goals, he does win them games, but are we sure they wouldn't win those games more comfortably without him? Because I look at Manchester United and I look at his performances for them Juventus and Portugal over the last, say, three years. And I've termed the phrase, he's arsonist and fireman. Yes, he rushes in to rescue everybody with a last-minute goal, but the reason they need that last-minute goal is because his team has been playing with 10 men up until that point. And we've seen him throughout his career from Manchester United to Real Madrid to Juventus and back to United and with Portugal have a negative impact on players who play with him. Bruno Fernandes is not the same player with Cristiano as he is without Cristiano. With Cristiano, he looks like he's put his boots on the wrong feet. Without Cristiano, he looks like prime Frank Lampard. Bernardo, with Cristiano, looks like a small child retrieving the ball for a professional. Without him, he looks like one of the best players in the world. And you can go through a whole bunch of them. The one I love... I love Jota because he doesn't care about Cristiano. He is going to do his thing. And Cristiano gets really angry with him. And I love it. That's, but, 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 but that, 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 that's also, I, I think some of the elements around this is some of the character also that Jota has. I think hmm. you, you, which is probably why, for example, he fits so beautifully into, into the Liverpool scheme as well, because there's just a, there's just a certain directness of thinking, which, which uh, we we can appreciate. Uh, it's a, it's. I hope it lasts though, because I, I I tend to think you know Ronaldo's influence over the national team has been 
Um, it's been l- lamented somewhat in recent years, and and I just hope that because as as we'll discuss with Benfica, for example, it's things off the field that unfortunately often have a lot more importance uh, sometimes than they should. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Right, let's talk about Benfica, and I want to start with your academy for one second because I have some questions here. So we know that right now. Playing in Europe, we have some of the finest players around that have come out of your academy. We have Jao Cancelo. We have Renato Sanchez, who's refound himself at Lille after a bad spell at Benfica uh, at, at Bayern. Thank uh, Guedes, that you mentioned earlier on, Ruben Diaz, Joe Felix, and Bernardo Silva, who, like I say, is one of the finest midfield players in the world. So. All of these have come through the Benfica Academy, been sold on and gone on to have great success. Uh, Victor Lindelof was in your academy for a brief time and then into the first team, sold on and has done quite well at United. For me, he'd be starting for them over Maguire, but that's not for this pod. But there's three names I want to give you, and I I need you to tell me why these players have not gone on to the levels that their talent suggested they would at this point. So the first one is Ferro, the central defender currently on loan at Hajak Split in Croatia. <laughs> How has this happened? Because when he broke through, he was more highly regarded than Ruben Diaz. And yet Diaz went on to a sixty-five million pound move, and Ferro is now on a second loan, having completely fallen out of favour at Benfica. Ferro is one of those guys who I think is potentially, not potentially, he probably is very much one of the victims of the instability that's, uh, that you've seen in terms of the coaching setup, uh, that this revolving door that's happened, uh, at Benfica the last, the last sort of, uh, five, six years. Because effectively what you've had is this sort of tension point right down to, you know, managing the end of the, uh, the, the partnership that, uh, uh, the great Louisan was, was part of. Uh, then you had someone like Jardel. Jardel was, uh, uh, sort of this elder statesman. He, he, he did pretty well. But then I think Benfica tried to prolong his career a little bit too much, in my opinion. So he suddenly started sort of, uh, and, and remember, this always comes at the expense of other players developing. And, and what you've got to understand is a lot of these coaches don't always uh, respect the development of, of certain young players at the expense of other of, of other results or other things that they're being told to prioritize. I mean, infamously, uh, Bernardo Silva, who I know Liverpool fans don't like, but I mean, this guy played more minutes as a left back than he did in his primary position for Benfica. So that should give you some some idea of how how mishandled he was. Faro, unfortunately, just never really managed to string together a consistent set of results. And by the time that um, you know, sort of uh, other other spots freed up. You know, there always seemed to be someone else who was <clears throat> ready to take to take uh, the position from him. Uh, most recently, now you've seen, you know, in, the, in this season, instead of sort of looking at uh, uh, him stepping in and becoming the uh, almost like the, the the new young successor to Ruben Diaz, uh, given his departure to Manchester City. Well, no, uh, Benfica went and signed Lucas Verissimo. Who, in fairness, has done really, really well. Uh, Benfica's hurting from the injury that he sustained at the beginning of the season. 
But uh, but then you look at Yang Vertonghen uh, preferred and uh, Nicholas Otamendi preferred. I that's that's unfortunately I think uh, a lot of that is an indictment on 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 the development of the players and the players being able to sort of kick on. Uh, so I think I, I, the lazy answer, Dave, is it's kind of half the player, half half the the development that he's not been given. That's a very fair answer. I'm glad you mentioned Verissimo. He's a player I do like. I was surprised that he took so long to leave Brazil because he's been very, very good since he was probably 1920 and he was 24, 25 by the time Benfica took him in. The other two, both midfielders, and when they each broke through, they were very, very highly regarded and seen as the next big thing, like after uh, Renato was Jetson Fernandez, yeah. and he's now, I believe Besiktas have bought him, but they can't register him yet, so he's on loan at the at some club whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> and the other one is Florentino Luis, yeah. who this kid was to be like Kante 2.0, and he's now on loan at Hetafe who have an option to buy him for a fairly favourable price. I, again, is is it the club? Is it the players? Is it the lack of a pathway to the first team? What is it that's caused both of these massive talents to just stagnate so early in their careers? These two are frustrating for me. Uh, and and they're, they're, they're part of a sort of a, a general theme around... Uh, you and I, like throughout our, our, our Twitter friendship, have always lamented our, our, our enjoyment for... For important midfielders, right? So Benfica is no different. Uh, I maintain some of the best Benfica sides. It's always been characterized by these really good midfielders. Think Nemanja Matic at his peak, Axel Witzel in his early days, uh, Enzo Perez when he made that uh, unusual but very successful switch into central midfield. So when, when these guys were out of the way, you suddenly thought, okay, cool. Flor- Florentino and Jetson are going to be able to sort of kick on, get into the position to now sort of elevate and stamp and stand themselves, much like how uh, Renato Sanchez did as well. I I want to try and blame the players as much as I can, but I, I can't because I think that, you know, when I think of these two players in particular, they've just always been cycled. They've never played one position. They've never been able to really own, well, you're a six, you're an eight, you're a box-to-box, you're a register, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a destroyer, whatever the case may be. They've never really been able to settle into one specific role. That That's the first point. The second point is... Um, <sighs> And you'll see this, unfortunately, if you thread a, a, a needle carefully through some of the, the, the sales that Benfica have made in recent years. Uh, my favorite one to tell the story is Danilo. There's a Brazilian kid, uh, defensive midfielder. I, I want to say Benfica got him from Braga, I think. But anyway, he gets signed by Benfica. He maybe plays a couple of games. He bizarrely plays one half of a game between Benfica and Sporting. And then, like, literally that week got sold. And Benfica fans are totally puzzled by this, but it, it's it's the it's those kinds of tactics that often happen with with players who you sort of almost look that Benfica wants to prioritize for the for the shop window. And given some of the recent off-field nonsense, you you can't help but wonder: Jetson and Florentino both being of an adequate, I want to say, sales profile, mm. have I think almost become victims of that. Victims of players who Benfica can very easily sort of move on or loan out or, or, or do things like that to then to then sort of make money for. And I think the, the, the challenge is you almost you almost need to 
ask yourself to what extent some of these players got the opportunity to allow their their time to develop because Benfica just had a need for them. I think of someone like Nelson Semedo who was given enough time to establish himself into a very decent right back uh, after uh, Maxi Pereira uh, went to Porto. Jetson and Florentino never got time. They never got time to settle. They were always sort of, you know, in and out. Uh, and, and, and there I'd, I'd, I'd blame some of the club's commercial priorities and, and, and some of that lack of stability, to be honest. Yeah, I think that is fair. And I think the unwillingness to allow them to learn from their mistakes has been a bit of a drastic thing in recent years because before, like, I remember when Matic went there first and he was quite raw, but he was allowed to play his way through mistakes. Witzel was the same. Witzel was very rash. Yes. Witzel would lunge into challenges and, and was a bit reckless, but Benfica coached that out of him, whereas with Florentino and with Jetson, it didn't seem like they were willing to do that. Now, obviously, different coaches, different approaches, I think uh, Danilo Barbosa is the midfielder you're talking that's the about. One. Yeah, that's him. It was from Braga. So funny story. Liverpool thought they had him signed and there was just no way to get him a work permit. So that's how he ended up at Braga to begin with back. I think Liverpool tried to sign him in 2013 yeah. and it was in 2014 he went to Braga and then he, I think, alone and then went to you guys. And to, I want to say he's currently playing in Brazil. I think so, yeah. It was, it was a bizarre Palmieri's maybe. But yeah, he's he's a very, very talented midfielder. But yeah, unfortunately one that sort of bounced around and never found the right situation. Let's talk about Benfica now then and, and, and what the situation is with the team now. So if we rewind a couple of years to the 18-19 season, Bruno Lage takes over mid-season and leads Benfica to the league title. He's then fired. The following, he, then he manages the second year, they finish second, and he leaves, but that's the COVID year. So he didn't manage the full season, if I'm right, he left. Right. Just sure, after it's... football restarted, wasn't it? And then Verissimo takes over as caretaker till the end of the season. Then we get 2020. <laughs> Summer of 2020, George Jesus comes back. The, the return of the king, a guy who's had great success there before. He's just experienced great success in South America. This is it. Benfica are going to be back and they're going to go big. So they do go big. They spend 104 million euro yeah. on Pedrinho, Gilberto, Jan Vertonghen, Everton, Luca Walschmidt, who was a disaster, uh, Darwin Nunes, Nicholas Otamendi, and Lucas Verezmo, who you mentioned, arrives in the January. They do make a couple of big sales that cover a lot of this. They bring in 74 million in sales, mostly yes. through Ruben Diaz, but it's still a 30 million outlay, which for Benfica at this point is substantial. Deal. Yeah. But they finished third in the league, well behind sporting, and it's all a bit embarrassing for them. This season, they don't spend massively in the summer. Uh, Gil Diaz, Yaramchuk was the big signing that came in. Uh, with Luca Walschmidt sort of as the big signing going out. They also sold Pedrinho after one season and Nuno Tavares joined Arsenal and he's looked fairly good for them. So you make a, a decent profit. 
But it's still George Jesus, and it's still going to be, you know, the George Jesus show. But then behind the scenes, things really start to fall apart. The president is indicted. Rui Costa has to take the reins. Then he has to sack Jesus come December. And Verissimo finds himself dragged back in to be manager. And it's all a little bit chaotic. And again, you're in third place in the Portuguese league and you're, you know, a little bit cut adrift of the, the top two and not really in the mix to win, win those, um, that domestic title. You lost the League Cup final to Sporting and you went out of the Portuguese Cup and it's all been a little bit disappointing. What's More that like? That. What's that More been that. like as a Benfica fan? Because that's a lot. Like that's a lot to pack into a couple of years. It's it's worse than that. So if you speak to Benfica fans, they will uh, not so affectionately. I don't know if I if I like the reference because it it might seem a bit a bit odd, but uh, they speak about those years um, back in the in in the nineties and early two thousands as Vietnam, um, because of some of the some of the challenges on and off the field and. A lot of Benfica fans are describing this as a new version of that. Uh, people need to understand, if uh, when you finish third in the league as Benfica, you may as well finish 17. You may as well. Because it's pretty much the same thing in their minds. And effectively, and I'm not saying that, that the, the pressure is fair, by the way. I'm just saying that's sort of the, the scale of how this club this club works. The, the challenge, Dave, is a lot of the self-destruction feels, unfortunately, by design from, from the club's perspective and not because... You know, if if I look at Port, are they significantly better than they were six year, years ago? I don't think so. I think uh, on paper that squad's a lot weaker. Uh, Sporting has got has gotten better, most definitely, but uh, not substantially better. That you can sort of look at the current league table and say, oh well, they're that much better than Benfica. Um, I think if you if if you look, the the, the fans are have been quite disillusioned. Um, there's a very genuine belief that bringing back Jorge Jesus in 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 uh, w- when they did and spending all that money was was purely an election tactic, because later that season, uh, uh, later that year, uh, Luis Felipe Vieira gets re-elected uh, on the back of sort of winning winning back the hearts and minds. But then I look, I I have a slightly more cynical view because I go back to two points. The first I go back to is under Rui Vitoria, Benfica were ready to compete for a fifth title in a row. Now. That sounds very sort of arbitrary Farmers League talk, but I just need to point out, Benfica have never done that. There's only one club that has done that. Frustratingly, it's the other one. And I thought, you know, if there was a time for Benfica to outlay and go after it and and, and do something amazing, it was then. No money was spent. Bruno Lage, uh, they didn't spend as much money under Bruno Lage. They didn't spend as much money under, under Rui. Uh, they only did that with George Azuz, and it felt very much sort of disingenuously like an election tactic. Then you get the way that these these guys left. Now, Vittoria, I never felt, was a very good tactician. He was sort of that nice guy that you bring home to your mom. All good. Uh, Bruno Lage is different. Bruno Lage, I, I have a lot of a lot of time for. I think I wouldn't say he's sort of an elite coach, but I certainly think there's there's a good mind in there. So the fact that he was he, he it, it it's just bizarre to me that he would suddenly turn into this terrible coach overnight and. Where there's smoke, there's fire. When you when you hear about, you know, mutant in the locker room uh, uh, repeating itself with Brunelage like it did with uh, Rui Vitoria, you have to ask questions. And for me, the confirmation came when Georges Zouge was, uh, when he left on the 20th of December, it's because, again, the same nonsense and fire starters happened in the locker room once again. Ironically, one of the 
principal instigators, uh, Bizi, has actually been moved on. Uh, he's on loan at uh, at a Turkish club whose name escapes me off the top of my head right now. But uh, these are some of the inherent behind-the-scenes problems that uh, that the club sort of faced. And in that, you know, only with this season, and and uh, you know, you were talking about how do I react uh, to the draw as a as a fan of both clubs. Um, on the Benfica side of the world, everyone's like, this Champions League campaign is the saving grace, and this is fantastic. And look, now we're going to play Liverpool, and uh, they're super nervous about playing Liverpool, by the way. But but ultimately, um, it's for me, it's a bit of a, a a strange thing because I don't want Benfica to suddenly like forget this has been a terrible, shocking, disappointing season, and serious serious changes need to be made. It's not it's not Hicks and Gillette levels, but it's certainly close. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think when you look at, look, for Benfica, for a club that have won 37 league titles, the goal should be to dominate domestically. Like, yep. with respect, sporting should never really be finishing above Benfica or Porto. Like, the financial status of both sporting, or oh, sorry, of both Benfica and Porto the quality of players that they can attract both through their academy and to the club as transfers is vastly superior to sporting. I'd liken it to Benfica, say, as Real Madrid, Porto as Barcelona, and sporting as Atletico Madrid. Thanks. Very, very fair comparison. Yeah. yeah. You know, they'll be competitive, but they're very much the second team in the city and very much the third team nationally. But yet they've been able to punch above their weight the last two years. And a big part of it is, as you said, it's, it's not that Porto have massively improved. It's not that Sporting have massively improved. It's that, the, it's that Benfica, through the decisions they've made, they've, through, they've just, yeah, they've just, li- they've literally run head, and it's not even that they fell off it by accident. They ran headlong off that cliff. It's completely by design, Dave. It's completely it's, by design. You, you you can even look at, I mean, and you're talking about bizarre transfers. Uh, one of the most bizarre to me is Carlos Vinicius. Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre situation that it's re- I, I I can't understand it. Um, looked really good under Brunelage. Uh, even mm. even did a decent job under the caretaker. Georges Zouch wouldn't touch him. No. And and even, it's 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 but but what I'm saying is Vinicius is just one of many. There's lots of stories like that. His first season, he scores 24 goals in 47. Games, having Jesus. arrived from uh, Gremio, he'd been in loan in Europe for like a couple of years with, with Monaco and with uh, Rio Ave. Uh, yeah. But Benfica buy him; he has a really good first season, and then he's out on loan the next season to Spurs, and he did okay there. They brought him in to be the backup to Kane. It's a limited role; he had limited minutes, but he did okay. He got ten goals in twenty-seven. Uh, sorry, ten goals in twenty-two games. This season he's been on loan at PSV Eindhoven. It hasn't gone great, but he doesn't really suit how PSV play under Roger Schmidt. He's not yeah. really that pressing forward that Schmidt wants, so a lot of his appearances are coming off the bench. But he's clearly a good player. There's no doubt in my mind he could play in a two with Darwin. Yeah. Or he could just be a brilliant backup to Darwin. Like, what are you gaining by having him out on loan? Because all he's actually doing is hurting his own transfer value. And it's not his decision, obviously. It's not his fault. But yeah. that's what Benfica are doing. If he was at the club 
coming off the bench, getting spot starts, or starting alongside Darwin, he'd be holding a strong value. Whereas 100%. right now, all it's doing is diminishing his value. And, you know, we, we saw it with Jensen Fernandez as well when they loaned him to Spurs. There was a big buy option, 40 or 50 million. Spurs don't take it up, send him back early. And Besiktas picked him up for pennies on the dollar. Like, it, it makes no sense at all, the approach they've taken. And it's the same thing with, again, like, how does a club like Benfica, and I've said this about Man United, how does a club like Benfica sack a manager in December and just decide we're just going to go with a caretaker interim manager till the summer? Like, how are you not immediately out there going, right, who can we get? We're Benfica. Who can we get? There are going to be managers who would jump at the chance to manage Benfica. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the biggest brands in the world. They're playing European football every single year. And I do have to wonder, considering the South American season ended in, was it like November when the uh, Copa Libertadores took place? How yeah. are you not going knocking on the door of Abel Ferreira, who's done an incredible job with Palmieri's and won back-to-back -back, uh, Copa Libertadores? How are you not banging down his door and saying, look, Here's a big bag of money. Come and save us. Dave, can I give you an irony? You've just mentioned it. Uh, do you know who the top rumored coach is to take over this team permanently? Probably Jose Mourinho. Roger Schmidt. Oh, God. And I'm, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, look, okay, Roger Schmidt, interesting. Um, I actually I like uh, him, but the Leverkusen with was the players? That's my point. Because I'm kind of looking at it thinking, this doesn't make sense. Like, I, that midfield can't do what he wants him to do. It, 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 right, there's lads, no, we're going to play no, a high line with Nicholas Otamendi and Jan Vertonghen as our centre-backs. Good Lord. Can you imagine? It's, it's just, it, do, it doesn't make sense to me. So, so even though I'm excited by, by the link, I'm also thinking someone with a football brain has not looked at this. No. No, they haven't at all. Like, for me, Ferreira would be an absolute no-brainer when you look at the work he's done since taking over at Palmieri's. And remember, like, he did, he did a really good job at Braga for a couple of years. And one thing Braga have always done is they've found good young managers and developed them. But, you know, then he did well with PAOK in, in Greece and moved over to Palmieri's. And he's just been sensational. Absolutely sensational since taking over there. Back to, back to back Copa Libertadores is really, really difficult. It is. And he has done it and done it in impressive fashion. So the Copa Libertadores ended on the 27th of November. Now, if I'm right in thinking, it was like the 28th or 29th of December when George Jesus got sacked. It was just after Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was, it was just after the, 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 the Porto game in the, in the cap. They, they got smacked 3 0. Then Verissimo takes over and then they play against Portland League and they get smacked another 3 0. It was, <laughs> it was a comedy. I mean, you couldn't write this stuff. You couldn't make it. But like, <laughs> th there's a month there where Ferreira's been off and you've, you, you don't just sack a manager based on one result. So clearly it was in the works that they were going to yes. move on from George Jesus. And there had been rumblings and rumors. And like, this is not to disparage George, uh, George Jesus at all. He, he, he has been in his career. 
a very, very good manager for for Benfica from 09 to 15. He was good at sporting when he went there. He did a great job at Flamengo. But but he shouldn't have come back. I, I he shouldn't think, have come back. No. I think a lot of, you know, Jorge Jesus reminds me a lot of Jose Mourinho, uh, ironically, mm. because I think a lot of people thought they were getting, you know, the original version back. And and I think you just you just have to accept that, you know that that that's that's not how this stuff works. It there was no. a great opportunity for Benfica to, to 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 move on to someone someone different, someone new, uh, freshen up the team, etc. But especially considering how it had all ended with him the first time, and the fact yes. that they're in contract negotiations, the contract negotiations break down, and the next day he signs a deal with Sporting. To Zacharias. Yeah, like while he was talking contract with Benfica, he's also out talking with Sporting. Like, that didn't happen in 24 hours. So, you know, like, that's a manager who didn't show... Like, if he'd signed for Sporting a month later, you'd be like, okay, fair enough. He couldn't get a deal done here. He left and he went there. But the next day, that means he wasn't loyal to the club the first time around. Why would you bring him back? I I just find it strange. Um, and the thing, like we were, we were saying, like this season, yes, the Champions League run is tremendous. And let's be clear here. Benfica have done brilliantly well to get to this point. They knocked out a decent Spartak Moscow team in the qualifiers in very convincing fashion. Then yeah. they beat a decent uh, PSV Eindhoven team over two legs in the playoff round. With 10 men for the majority of that one league. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and held on. And just scraped the way through, but showed a good fighting spirit. Then they go into a group with Bayern Munich, top five team in Europe, Barcelona, not what they were, but still Barcelona, and Dinamo Kiev, who, not a great Dinamo Kiev team, but trips to Kiev and places like that are always just a little bit awkward anyway. Yeah, and, and Benfica don't travel well. Hey? If you ever look at no. the, a lot of the history around sort of traveling to Russian teams, they don't actually have that great a record against these sides. So uh, I, I was worried about the Spartak game because keep in mind, the previous season, Georges Azuz had messed it up against uh, P- uh, Park. Yes. Uh, ironically, ex-Benfica player, Andrzej Zivkovic, uh, knocked them out. Uh, the week he got transferred, it was insane. But so... Beating Spartak, great. Beating PSV, great. Beating Barca, Barca, Barca sucked this year. But I mean, you know, again, I'd, I'd always say to Benfica, good, they make sure you beat them if they're, if they're that bad. That's they're exactly, you can only beat what's in front of you. And it's not Benfica's fault that this is a dreadful Barca team. Or well, it was. The ben- Barca now have improved greatly from where they were in September and, and, and November when, when Benfica played them. But like, yeah. to go to Kiev and get a good draw, then, Hammer Bar- Barcelona at home. Yes, they got their backsides kicked in both games against Bayern. That happens to most clubs. You get the draw at home to Barcelona and then you beat Kiev with the pressure on because you needed that win to get through. You went and got that win. So that's, that's massive. And then you go into the quarter of uh, the, the round of 16. You get Ajax, who nobody was really keen on playing because they'd had a brilliant group stage. And they played well. They demolished teams. They demolished sporting uh, in the first in the group stage, and then you guys go and draw two two with them at home. That's the key which, result, actually. Which was, but what was really impressive to me was you went one nil down, you came back and got an equaliser. You went two one down, 
and you kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting and got your equaliser. And yeah. then you went to Amsterdam and beat them 1-0. This is a ben- uh, an, uh, an Ajax team who'd won all six of their group stage games and you weren't in any way awed by them. You didn't take a step backwards. You stuck to a, what was a very well constructed game plan and, and credit to the manager for that, to Verissimo for that. Yeah. He had the team really well set up, especially in that second leg where I thought defensively Benfica really put in a good performance. I, I, I'd agree with that. And I, and I think, you know, ironically, even though we sort of, uh, a lot of jokes about, you know, how, how slow Artemedian and so forth, I think the reason a lot of Benfica fans you'll find will be very delighted with him being in the team is because, you know, he's brought that combative spirit. It's the same stuff. I mean, Dave, you and I waxed lyrically about why, why we like this stuff in Luis Diaz and generally any South American we discussed. Darwin Nunes and Otamendi are the same, are the same guy in a way. Just younger, one's younger, one's older. It's, 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 they're both competitive. They both don't give up. Uh, and, and, and that sort of really sort of washed over that team, especially in that, in that second leg. Um, the, the Herculean defensive effort, I, uh, that, um, that they managed to pull out. It was very much a snatch and grab. Let's be honest, very much a snatch and grab, but, um, we, we, we can't, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we can't, uh, uh, sort of begrudge, begrudge that. I mean, and, and, and credit to Ajax as well, because they, they played Benfica off, off the park in, in, in most of that, most of that second league. But they do that to most teams. That's how they play. So you just have to react to it and, and keep your focus defensively. That's the main, the main aim when you play against a team like Ajax. So I want to hit in a couple of current Ajax, a couple of current Benfica players and just get your thoughts on them. Uh, so the first one is a left back who I think is one of the 10 to 12 best left backs in the world right now. I'm honestly surprised he's still at Benfica. Me he's too. been there now six years. Alex Grimaldo is a hell of a player. So it's, it, he, he's been solid. Um, there's, it's been a bit of like a, a, a lucky packet, uh, with him, uh, across his Benfica career. And, and, uh, I think also part of why he's not left, uh, is potentially just sort of, there have been patches where his injury record hasn't really helped him. Um, um, a few long-term injuries. I want to say maybe in the second or third season, I can't recall off, offhand. But you're talking about someone who's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, He's he's sort of like a, a seven out of ten in all in all respects, right? Uh, good passer, uh, good crosser, fairly quick. I wouldn't say he's the most uh, extensive defender given um, mm. given his size, but I think physical limitations is the, is the reason with that. He's he's very yeah, small. He's, he's slight, but but I think he makes up for it in in, in many in many respects. He's he's obviously called on 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 Benfica to be sort of a lot more aggressive in the left hand side. That's why I think. You know, by the way, I mean, shock horror. I don't think this surprises anybody, but expect that left-hand channel for Benfica to be the most active on uh, in, in the week against Liverpool. Um, but 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 he's he's quite. I, I think especially the last couple of seasons, he he has been quite sort of industrious in 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 in, in his creativity. Uh, I am surprised he's he's there just because uh, good left backs are really hard to find. Um, is he world world class to the levels of like an Andy Robertson? No, no, but. That next layer down, it's like a very steep drop. So you you kind of <laughs> again, that's why I'm surprised he's still there. If you're a top half Premier League club looking for a left back, there's not many Grimaldo you plays. could get. Grim- exactly, 
He reminds me of Leighton Baines. Like yes, he's he's good at everything. Leighton Baines was great at set pieces. Grimaldo's not a great free kick taker, but he takes a good corner. But he's good at everything. There's no notable weakness in his game other than the physicality side of things. The same as Baines was a tenacious enough defender, would try his best, but sometimes was just too small to deal with certain things. And, and Grimaldo reminds me of the same. Yeah. The next player I want to hit on then is Everton. Now, <laughs> unfortunate name, obviously. <laughs> and, and, and quite suspect choices of haircut. But this is a talented footballer who can play anywhere really in the forward line, either side, up front, off the striker, nicknamed the Little Onion, uh, which I assume is because of the shape of his head. I don't really know. But he's a very talented footballer, and he's one I do enjoy watching play. I don't think he's an elite-level footballer, but he's an enjoyable footballer to watch, and he is productive. Uh, to a point, I, I, I feel like, you know, Benfica's had a few of these players, and, 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 and they've gotten it right with some. Uh, you think of people like Angel Di Maria, Nico Gaetan, Salvio, uh, who've, who've sort of been, been the best, best examples of it. Um, Everton's got the Maria's versatility and position, which I, which I think I like, uh, obviously. Um, and, and he's got the trickery, but he hasn't really been able to yet sort of illustrate it into something sort of super productive. So, and when I say productive, I'm really talking about, you know, sort of goals and setting up key chances for players. Cause I think you'll find ironically that, uh, in my opinion, anyway, a less, a less raw talented player in Rafa Silva is still getting, you know, more of the goals and more of the assists, but, but Rafa's obviously got a little bit more speed, which, which helps him. The point Rafa's though is also that. Got, Rafa's also got a higher level of intelligence. Yeah. I think yeah, Rafa it, Silva is the type of guy. Rafa Silva, not stylistically, but in, in how he plays, in, in the way he does everybody else's thinking for them. Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of Thomas Muller in that he just takes up really clever positions. And he makes really clever decisions with the ball. And the decisions he makes with the ball also have the knock-on effect of making the decision for the next player to receive the ball. Yeah. I think he simplifies the game really well. That's a good summary of probably where the big difference is in terms of what Everton needs to get to. Because I, I just tend to find Everton, like, like you, 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 we've all seen those players. They've definitely got talented skills at their feet. And you can see, and, and he's, he's had some, some insane performances as well where he's shown in that respect. But they've just been too few and far between. And, and, uh, the good news is he's, he's shown enough and he's got enough talent that he's not going to be like many a wide forward that, that Benfica have, have just sort of moved on after, after sort of live, not living up to the hype. But, um, I wouldn't say that he's managed to etch himself a, a, and his name onto the team sheet. Because he's always been the obvious mm. choice. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, you, you'll probably find that he's he's going to sort of uh, go in and out of the team uh, just because it, it depends on, what, on how Vidi Summa feels on the day. So we, we we briefly mentioned Rafa Silva. I think he's the one player Liverpool need to be really wary of because That's his, interesting. his ability to just kind of float into a position and find space is is really impressive. Like you, he, he doesn't have that elite level of technical ability. Because if he did, he wouldn't be at Benfica anymore. If his technical ability matched his brain, 
he'd be probably a top 15 player in the world. He's he's just that kind of high-level intelligence. He's a good player, not a great player, but he can make himself incredibly good for the right team with, with the decisions he makes. But what, what I really want to talk about is kind of what I'm dubbing the reclamation project, which is your midfield. So th- there's three names here that are interesting to me. So the first mm-hmm. one is, is Jao Mario, who, when I saw him at Sporting years ago, I thought he was going to be an outstanding midfield player. Yeah. He made the move to Inter Milan. It didn't really work out for him, and he found himself loaned here, then, everywhere. He had a decent loan at West Ham, but Inter were asking too much. He had a good loan at Sporting last year, but obviously they didn't have the finances to do the deal. You brought him in. What's your take on him since he's since he's joined? How has he performed? And why do you think maybe he hasn't hit the heights that he looked capable of when he was at Sporting back in the day? The the latter question is a lot harder to answer because I think you know a lot of it depends on uh, sort of how you feel about uh, maybe maybe some of the inherent abilities that he has, which maybe just never sort of worked out. Because uh, ironically, you look at someone. If I'm not mistaken, he was in the same team that uh, Jean Moutinho and William Carvalho were also in. Yes, and, he, was so, and he, was, he was sort of the all-fall one. Yeah, and I mean, those, two, well, actually, you could make the argument Carvalho also hasn't kicked on, really. But uh, Moutinho, yeah, Moutinho certainly has, has obviously uh, developed into, into a great player. For, for Benfica, look, I think, I think you've got to keep in mind there's a, there's a Jean Mario difference between him and the Jesus and him and the Verissimo because... Uh, under Jesus, there's, there's a very clear intent of how he's meant to sort of link a play and be a support to, to, to the attack in, in, in the way that Jesus likes, uh, almost, almost like the typical eight to play, if that makes sense. But under Verissimo, that's been a lot more difficult to sort of nail down. Um, you found that, for example, uh, Verissimo's experimented with Taraft because Taraft is just a lot more capable of being able to beat players in the dribble. Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I doesn't do, so then <laughs> he finds himself on the bench half the time as well. Um, he's, then there's also sort of the, the, the defensive capabilities, which he's just, you know, been lacking. So I think, I think his, he, I, I was actually very excited with him coming because I thought like, you know, this is, this is, it's not like a Vatongan Otamendi situation. He's still of a good age. He's still a good player. Uh, you can get a lot of his uh, experience and he can sort of kick on, but, He's not, unfortunately, been all, all that dominant. And I think, again, a lot of it is comes down to role clarity. You also got to remember that Benfica switched from, what was it, a 3-5-2 to a, uh, a 4-4-2 b- between the two managers. And, and that obviously changes things significantly because I think, you know, being in the two versus being in the three does, does make your life fundamentally different if you're, if you're Jean Mario. Uh, that is true. That is true. It, it, it does make a big difference to your responsibilities on and off the ball. So he is having to adapt. You mentioned Adel Trapt there. And Adel Trapt is, is a funny player. I mean, when Spurs signed him many years ago, back in like 06, 07, that kind of range, People thought this was going to be like an all-encompassing attacking midfielder, one of the great talents. Didn't really work out at Spurs. He went to QPR. His second full season there, he was unbelievable. It's one of the great seasons anyone's ever had in the championship. But he struggled in the Premier League. 
had a couple of loans and found himself joining Benfica in 2015. Didn't play at all the first season. Yeah. Barely played the second season. Got loaned to Genoa and did really well for Genoa when he was there. And since going back to Benfica in 2019, he's actually become quite a different player than the kind of free-spirit attacking midfielder that he was early in his career. So he's not a regular starter this season. I think he's only started like five games or something um, in the league. And then obviously, let me see, uh, Adil Tarapt yeah. has started six Indeed. games, seven games in all competitions. Be many. Yeah. So mostly off the bench, but he does seem to have become a sort of reliable player who can come on and change games and help give more control to games. It's it's so weird because you know you you I I know a few people uh, who support Benfica have a lot of um, sort of almost like a soft spot for the guy because I think they they appreciate that he's got. Just a lot more ability in his locker to, to, to be a lot more sort of creative by comparison to some of the other players in the team. Uh, if you, if you read what he's recently commented about his move to the club, he's, it, it's almost esoteric in the way that he's sort of rediscovered himself and rebuilt his, his career, his life almost in, in, in terms of, uh, how Benfica has helped him out. But, um, at the same time, I think, you know, again, this is just another example of someone who needs a defined role. Uh, and, and, and I keep bringing this up because, Dave, you know, one of the things that uh, I think Liverpool fans don't, don't appreciate properly is just how fantastic is the consistency and the reliability of, 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 of how the Liverpool system works. We, we don't have these conversations about Liverpool players. <laughs> So with Benfica, it's, it's different. Like, like you, you, you almost don't know uh, what some of these guys do. And and and, and Adelta have the same. Um, you know, there's there's been cases where he's been asked to sort of do a lot more of a defensive shift, which is doesn't sort of betrays his his idea ideology a bit. Um, oftentimes, when he's coming deep, it's because his teammates aren't moving the ball up the field fast enough, so he's trying to take it on board. Um, Got sent off the uh, early the one game uh, one league game recently because he was too reckless in trying to do so. So it's 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 a very it's 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 a very weird thing. But 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 I but I do like the fact that he's you can see this as someone who's seen his Benfica um, opportunity as as one to rebuild his career and try and get it back on track. Yeah, Benfica should be a destination for a lot of players. Yeah. Yes, for some it's going to be a stepping stone to, you know, your Bayern Munichs, your Liverpools, your Manchester Uniteds and whatever else. But for many players, Benfica should be a destination club because, well, they warrant that with the size of the club. Um, two more before we finish up. Sure. Julian Weigel, when he joined Borussia Dortmund from 1860 Munich and had that incredible first season there, there was a lot of talk that this guy was going to be one of the great holding midfielders, like a Busquets type. He was very much on the radar for Pep Guardiola when he took over at City. Then he had that horrendous ankle injury, and it took him a bit of time to get anywhere, you know, back anywhere close to the level before. I don't believe he's ever fully gotten there. 
I still think he's a good player, but how has he been in particular over the last two years, in your view? Because I know in the first year there was some, there was a couple of niggly injuries and he, he was struggling a little bit to find rhythm. I think the good news for him is that he's definitely established himself as the first name in the team sheet in the midfield. So that's, that's to his credit. Uh, this is someone who's very, very much the metronome in the midfield. So I think the Busquets comparison is maybe appropriate in that regard. But he's not necessarily someone who's, I mean, Dave, this, this comes back to the league, to the quality of the league, right? Uh, I think he's fine in Portugal. So he's done, he's done very well to establish himself a, a solid role as, as, as the six women figure in, in, in Portugal. I wouldn't say he's especially sort of dominant from a physical perspective. Not, not especially quick. This is not someone who, you know, makes me think of, uh, Nemanja Matic or Javi Garcia for, for, from a, from a tackling proficiency perspective. But, but he's, he, he's been okay. However, um, do I think this is someone who Benfica could pretty easily improve on in midfield if they, if they looked at a couple of options? Yes, I do. So, uh, I definitely wouldn't be the first person Benfica needs to improve on. Um, and is, is one of the, I mean, you could probably say along with Darwin and Grimaldo, uh, Otamendi, probably one of the five, six best players that Benfica have had this season. But I think you've just got to sort of look at it in context. Just because he's been good relative to the team doesn't mean that, you know, I'm pulling up trees to, to get. Does that make sense? Uh, the last one then I have to talk about Owen Hurley has me contractually obliged to bring him up. We've talked about him a little bit before, but Darwin Nunes, I mean, the guy is having an outstanding season. Um, I think it's 26 goals in all competitions. 20 in the league, he's top scorer in, in the league. He's just really starting to round into a tremendous player. Yeah, I probably need to edit the previous time we discussed him because you are, you said to me, does he need more time? Is he ready to move? I still think he could benefit from one more year at Benfica, but I don't know if it actually makes any more sense for him to develop with Benfica per se. Because I don't know if there's much more that a season with Benfica can, can, can give him unless Benfica's, you know, dominating the league and, and then winning all these trophies and doing another deep, uh, Champions League run. So in that respect, I think as long as he's going to, yeah, I mean, Benfica fans fully expect him to get sold in the summer. Uh, there's, there, there's no doubt about that. Uh, easily Benfica's best player. You can make the argument now that Luis Diaz has left Portugal that Darwin Nunes is the best player in Portugal now. Um, so effectively, from a from, from a Darwin perspective, you, you you have to ask yourself to what extent does the staying in in Benfica for another year sort of make sense for his development and for for his progression. Uh, and and all the qualities you like, right? Um, this is the one that I would be more worried about than Rafa, if I'm honest, uh, if I'm Liverpool, just because this kid's unpredictable. We don't know what else he 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 didn't he suddenly doesn't realize that he can do that he suddenly figures out he can do. He's mm. tall, he's strong, he's fast, great feet, combative. He's not scared of anything. This is the guy who's going to take on Virgil Van Dijk, not because he can beat Virgil Van Dijk, but just because he wants to try, which is beautiful. I love that. So. Um, I think, I think, uh, uh, Darwin for me definitely, uh, and, and it's, and it's great because when he first came in, it was a massive disappointment in the first season. Everyone was very disappointed with sort of how, you know, 
that were questioning the money spent and so forth. No one is having those conversations anymore. This is a good signing. Benfica um, have have done a good job on this one, and and uh, you know wherever he ends up, I just I just hope it's not like a, in a United jersey or something like that. Yeah, him ending up in a United jersey would be absolutely horrendous. And the, the reason I would say Rafa rather than Darwin is is who will be marking them. Like yes. Darwin is clearly the player who can win the game for Benfica, but Darwin is going up against Virgil and Joel Matip. My biggest worry is Rafa Silva. Realize by Henderson that, or yeah, there's an enormous trends. pocket of space behind Jordan Henderson, and yeah. him just going, well, I'll just go stand here. You lads, give me the ball, and I'll make things happen from this big space here, because that fella has gone 25 yards the wrong direction. That makes and sense. Him, him then starting to just, you know, pick us open. But Darwin is going to be the one that can be the game changer. I mean, with. With his power, with his speed, his ability to carry the ball, the movement in the box, his ability to get his shot away really quickly, good at, good at the pieces. air. Yep. I, I, I think he's just, he's an all-round threat. He's very much on my shortlist of players I would like Liverpool to sign this summer. Now, I know we don't play with a number nine, but I, I think he's the type of number nine that can come into this team and really adapt well. Because I, I think there's a lot more to his game than what we've seen in yeah. terms of his hold-up play, his ability to bring others into the game, his ability to drop off and just, you know, knock the ball about, carry the ball into wide areas, create space for others. I think you put him in a better team and he becomes a better player. I think he's that type. Obviously, you're right. Last season was not good for him. Um, but I don't think it was good for anybody. At yeah. Benfica. And it's also worth pointing out, like he was moving up from Almeria in the second division in Spain. It was his second move in two years, having come over from Penarol. So he'd had quite of a lot of turmoil. He still scored 14 goals in 44 games in all comps. So not a, not a dreadful return, but not obviously what, what you hope for when you paid as much money as Benfica did. One, uh, one more piece of evidence. One more piece of evidence. You've got to look at his development as well as very much of his own uh, machination because think about, you know, Georges Azouz didn't, didn't coach the side of him. Nelson Verusma hasn't coached the side of him. All this you're seeing now is just purely his development. So imagine now you give him to someone who knows what that next layer of development is. That's what makes it exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good call. That's a really, really good call. Um, I, I'm very hopeful that that Darwin makes the right decision this summer. If it's staying, that's not the wrong decision. Staying is, is, is absolutely a good decision. If it's going to United, that's, that's the wrong decision. Not just because it's United, but because it's United, because of how awful they are, how dreadful the job they've done developing young players in recent yeah. years and the turmoil there. You don't know who the coach is going to be. They don't know who well, the coach it. is going to be. That's it. That's it. I don't really buy any, you know, United want this player type of rumours now because they don't even know who the manager is going to be. So how on earth are you shopping for a manager that you don't know? Because the three that they want or the three that have been shortlisted, apparently, Louis Enrique, Eric Ten Hag and Maurizio Pochettino all play different styles. The other one mentioned is is uh, Julian Lopetegui from, from Sevilla also plays a completely different style. So... Yeah. None of it really makes sense for them to go and buy anybody until they know what they're doing. Um, 
what is an outcome? We'll finish on this. What is an outcome from this tie that leaves you happy? <laughs> There's no outcome that leaves me happy. There's only one that leaves me relieved, which is no injuries. Uh, I, I selfishly, I, I may lean 60-40 to say I'd, I'd rather, you know, sort of please definitely no injuries for the Liverpool players because they have a lot more to play for with respect. So you definitely don't want any, you know, sort of nonsense in that regard. Um, I don't want Benfica to be sort of, you know, I, I want them to get on onto the field and 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 you know play their socks out and, uh, you know, if if they're going to lose, they must lose with dignity. If they're going to surprise Liverpool, then then let that be uh, on 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 the merit. No no weird decisions from VAR or strange red cards or that kind of thing. Uh, I would I would say that Dave, something you know, because make no mistake, the, the, these two matches I'm not going to watch. Uh, with a smile on my face. <laughs> so basically, Liverpool go through, Benfica leave with their pride intact, yes. no injuries, and then both sides kick on towards the end of the season. It seems unlikely that Benfica can do anything more in the league. It does look very much like they're going to finish third. Um, yeah. They're currently six behind Sporting. With seven games left, so they could overhaul Sporting if if Sporting have a bad run. Uh, but the league title is is absolutely out of question. question at this point. Yeah. You're twelve points behind there, so that's not happening. Uh, you're out of the Portuguese Cup to Porto, and like I said earlier, lost the, lost cup, the, league, the cup. league Cup final league to cup Sporting, final, yeah. and that that makes it even worse. Like that to go out of the one cup to one one rival and the other cup to the other rival, especially in a final. Uh, when those two teams finish above you, that's that's pretty much worst case scenario uh, for a domestic season for Benfica. So I can I can accept the league final, but 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 losing in that fashion to Porto, it's just no. I mean I mean it, it, I don't want to speak of this, but imagine you know you sort of Liverpool do not are not competitive against City. I think you'd be far more irritated. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That is yeah. true. You'd you'd rather lose a close game. Then just get, you know, turned around and, and kicked in the backside. Yeah. Um, right. We will leave it there for today, Marco. Is there anything, have you got anything coming up? Is there anything you want to say before we, before we wrap up? No, just, um, you know, uh, you and I were joking about it. Uh, you went in Portugal to get a horrendous draw tonight. I'm hoping for something slightly less so, but, uh, everyone enjoy the World Cup draw. There we go. <laughs> right. Hopefully we will have more Marco back on AI soon. AI is always a better place when you're about, buddy. So thank you very much for taking the time today, and I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Right, now that he's served his two-thirds of a podcast suspension, welcome in Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Here, under protest. I mean, I I feel a bit like, you know, one of them England internationals who doesn't get the call-up first time around and then refuses the call-up after someone gets injured. I'd have to call in FIFA then to have you suspended permanently for a minimum of, uh, of five club matches. So that would be unfortunate for you if that did take place, Carl. And thus, I have subserviently bowed down to your iron fist, as you described, Guy, at the start of the podcast. And uh, here I am. Well, it, it was Guy. It was it was Guy who decided that you needed to serve a suspension after your mockery of him and the abusive comments you made about Albi Moreno uh, on our last podcast so you know you can't there, there there are certain lines that can't be crossed and in guy's mind the alpi moreno line is that that final line that just will not be in any way tarnished 
Um, so myself and Marco have obviously discussed Benfica already, so might as well have you on now to talk about Liverpool and what you think the approach might be for this game on Tuesday night. So obviously on Saturday we played Watford, lined up with Ali, Joe, Joe Joel, Virgil, Robbo, Curtis, Henderson and Thiago, which I thought might be the midfield, and then Salah, Bobby and Jota. Now, I would suggest that we're likely to see quite a few changes ahead of this game. With, with City in mind, that we may see at least one in defence, probably one or two in midfield, and then I would guess two in attack as well. What are you thinking Liverpool might go with in this game? So, yeah, actually, I've, I've got five changes to the lineup. I think obviously Trent coming back in, assuming there's no uh, reaction on the hamstring in training. I think that one's a, a fairly obvious one. <sighs> we don't want to obviously get ahead of ourselves, but the ideal situation would be to put ourselves in a positive place ahead of the second leg to give you a few more options, a few more uh, potential for rotation if you need to, all that kind of stuff. So do think Trent will come back in for this one. And then Matip, Van Dijk and Robertson all stays the same. Uh, and Allison as well, obviously. I don't think there's any way on earth that Fabinho doesn't start this game. He's Agreed. obviously one of the players in the squad who can more than comfortably do two big games in a week. There's there's, there's never really been any issue with that before with him, and I wouldn't expect Especially with a nice so. gap between them, because it's Tuesday to Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's fair as well. Uh, the, the, the recovery time is nicely in our favour, I think. It's, it's, it's not... Although it is two big games and obviously there's a little bit of travel involved and obviously the mental strain and all the rest of it, but that kind of thing they're well used to by now. This squad are like, this is what they thrive on and play in these, these regular games. We've spoken about it before. They kind of, if they drop off at any point, it's when they haven't played for a while. If they have a whole week off or we go on one of the training camps or the international breaks sometimes as well, like we saw against Watford, it can be quite slow afterwards. But when we get into the rhythm of playing every three to four days, and I think four days is really the ideal break in between matches. Um, that's when we seem to be at our best, I think. That's when we find the best rhythm. So hopefully we'll see that across this next sort of two weeks, really, or so, because it's not just these two games. But we do have to make changes as well to make sure that not just the physical aspect, but the competition for places, make sure everyone's really putting in a good shift. Um, to that end, I would say, unfortunately, I think probably Curtis Jones fell quite a bit short at the weekend. That was yeah. a, a reasonable opportunity for him. and I, I, First half especially, I don't really think he was on it at all. But I would expect Henderson to stay in the team, pushed out to the right-hand side. But I think maybe this one, Thiago, doesn't play. Mm. Yeah, I think this. I think Saturday was an opportunity for Jones, if he'd done well, to stake a claim to start against, against Benfica in the first leg. Um, and for Klopp to go with Jones, Fabinho, Naby as the three for this one. Uh, and keep Henderson because, well, he not that he played well at the weekend, but just kind of keep him fresh for the weekend against City, uh, when you would imagine he'll almost certainly start, and keep Thiago fresh because the the whole purpose of having Naby and, Thia- and Thiago and not playing them together, which obviously, you know, if you're putting our three best midfielders on the pitch, it would be Naby, Fab, Thiago. But the reason Klopp always holds one of them out is that so that he always has one of them fit and ready to play. 
So I'd imagine the plan is for Naby to play both Benfica games and Thiago to play both City games moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I think... I, I, I'm, I'm torn over that right-sided midfield role, to be honest, because I do have worries about Henderson just getting injured because he hasn't gotten injured yet this season. And it's unusual that he's at this point of a season and not gotten hurt. Given how much he's played, because what we've seen from him over the last five, six years is that he just picks up injuries left, right and centre. Now, maybe it's that they're monitoring his minutes so closely, I don't know. But, you know, he played 90 at the weekend. For him to play Tuesday and then... Sunday again, it, it's it's asking quite a bit of him. Now I know yeah, he had the second England game off. City. You don't, don't think, think Henderson starts against City? No, I think for that oh. kind of game seems to have been quite often one of the ones where it's less now about Liverpool being all out in your face trying to overwhelm them in midfield. There's a lot more structure to our games against Man City over the last it's two really- years. I would say a lot more intent to. Not have quite as much possession as they do, but have our own spells of possession. And honestly, I think that Henderson comes out for that one. That's why I play this one. Right. Well, we won't spoil it, but you have me. You have me quite excited now about this. So we'll talk about that when we do the city game later in the week, because I'm I'm really curious to hear what you're thinking there. So right. So we go Henderson, Fabinho, and Naby as the midfield three. Uh, you'd said obviously Trent, Joel. Virgil, Robbo, do you think is there any possibility that Canate comes in, given he's played the last Champions League knockout phase and Klopp has just kind of dropped him in for games like this? There is, there's definitely a possibility but I I wonder whether that might be one we look at for the second leg and you know, again if we are I don't know, maybe a goal up even if we get a 1-0 victory, a 2-1 victory something like that, I think you're already in a really really good place for the second leg. Mm. So maybe that's one of the changes for them. I think at the moment, <clears throat> quite similar to when we came back last time and we had the was it the FA Cup match that we had and we played quite a strong team so that we were very quickly in the rhythm. And uh, I, I think maybe a similar layout here for the for the upcoming game. So we played a strong team straight after the international break because we're going to play them again against Man City. So a couple of times for the centre-backs at the, at the very least. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And then up front, what, what's your thought? Because I think Bobby has to start against City. Mo is playing pretty poorly at the minute and was, was very poor at the weekend. Would you go Mane, Jota, Diaz as your three in this game? Or what would you go with? I think Diaz definitely starts, given the opposition and obviously one of the side he's most used to playing against would you think that mm. that's fair even not counting anything else yeah i think so i think diaz will start this one i think it's a it's a team he's familiar with it's a team he's done well against and it feels um, like an easy win you know for, yeah. for, for diaz not for, not for the match itself but for starting diaz and getting a good performance out of him and you know, having one aspect of the, the the attack obviously being very confident that they can have their game, that feels like a, a fairly routine pick. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because he'll go into that game confident knowing that 
these are defenders that he knows and he knows that they're scared of him. And so, yeah, I think pretty much same lines for Jota, to be fair. I think maybe Jota central, Mane starts on the right. And we know that obviously there's a, a huge amount of rotation that we could see there because Jota we've seen filter out to the left and Diaz go through the middle late in games. Uh, Mane obviously has played all the way across that line. So I would personally, if I'm going to pick any of them, put Jota out on the right to start as more of an outlet than a, a final third penalty box kind of thing. And Sadio mm. Mane through the middle, just until we get the feel of the defence, how they're setting up, how we can play through them. And maybe you switch Jota and Mane over a bit later on. But Mane obviously has that bit of a hold-up presence and a little bit more inclined to drop deep. And Jota, very, very hard work. And with Benfica going, it's not a wide 4-4-2, but more often than not, those those wider midfielders will be outside our eights. Maybe yes. Jota with a little bit more tenacity and work rate to track back than Mane has at the moment. Yeah, and you've also got the, the Alex Grimaldo factor. He'll be pushing forward from left back. So having Jota track him as well would be beneficial. Uh, that does make sense to me. It also means that Mane can dip to both wings from that central nine position and have either Jota move through the middle or Diaz move through the middle and Mane just operate a little bit wider for certain passages of the game. And as you said, they can all switch. Jota for Liverpool has played all across the front three. Mane has played all across the front three. Diaz hasn't played through the middle yet, but it is something he has in his locker. And there are spells in games where he does take up very central positions he has played on the left, obviously, for us predominantly. But he did, did go right side in one game for about 20 minutes and look quite dangerous there as well. So, yeah, I, I like that. I like that front three. I like the midfield three, um, especially given what you've said about the City game. So I, I think that's a very strong team. And I think there's going to be a reaction from this Liverpool team at some point because they haven't been great in the last few games they weren't great against Forest they weren't great against Watford they were very good against Arsenal for a spell but didn't really need to do it for any more than that and I think this is going to be that same type of game where maybe it's only for 25 minutes half an hour Liverpool really turn it on and show what they can do and if they do that they can blow this uh, Benfica team away the golfing quality should be there yeah, overall, I think so. But uh, while that can definitely happen, I don't I think it, we, we need to focus too much on it. We don't need it to happen. You know, we could do the exact same as we did against Forrest and Watford in each of the two legs and go through very, very comfortably. Not with a uh, dramatic scoreline or, you know, massive highlights reel or anything like that, but we go through and that's all that really matters, isn't it? And I wouldn't be surprised if we take the exact same approach and play the exact same way and get a very, very similar scoreline in the next four matches. And if we do that against Benfica, Man City, Benfica and Man City, and we win all of them by the odd goal or draw and win by the odd goal, we'll be in a very, very good position. Yes, yes, we will. If we if we do that, we will come out top of the league in the Champions League semi-finals and in the FA Cup final, uh, where hopefully Crystal Palace would await us rather than, rather than Chelsea. Um, although, given how Chelsea performed against Brentford at the weekend. I'm not sure you'd be all that all that worried about them either. Uh no, my thinking is if we can if we can put this one to bed in the first leg, it just does make life a lot easier for us between those two city games. 
because oh, it would absolutely be ideal yes yeah like if we could go and beat them by th- two or three clear goals and just have it you know done and dusted club can rest more players in that second leg and you've also got the fact that city will be playing at letty um that's going to be absolutely horrible for them that could... that's not fun at all no i mean obviously the ideal situation here is they're in an absolute war and it's a proper battle for them both legs maybe even goes to extra time because you know there's a, there's always the chance that atleti properly full on atletico and uh, don't concede or only concede one and have that chance to score a goal themselves but i don't think we worry too much about that what we could really do with is making sure that all the movement that we have all the pace that we have all that rotation of positions that we're talking about in attack absolutely flummoxes Otamendi and Vertonghen and makes the use of their um I'm going to describe it as a rather wide turning circle these days and uh, an overall lack of agility I think if we if we do let the game sort of not drift as such but we just do the the controlling thing that we've done I don't I don't really expect it to get to that 3-0 scoreline because they'll sit deep and that's when they're best obviously you know they they will try and pack out that area in front of the defense Julian Vagel doing a probably a lot of protective work and Vertonghen and Otamendi perfectly fine in terms of clearance after clearance after clearance and all that kind of stuff is okay for them but it's when you can open up the spaces when you can pull them a little bit out of position when you can start making the the runners going behind and some dropping off and all the rest of it that's where they're going to struggle that's where we can make the most of the fact that they have a combined age of approximately a forest of oak trees in central defense yeah I mean they they are uh, we'll call them generously experienced in the game right before we wrap up before we get predictions i want to know a couple of things from you um this game is one of two things it's either it could be the lazar markovic derby or it could be the steve harkness derby i'm going to allow you to choose which one of those you prefer now i am in favor of it being lazar markovic just because i think he's one of those ones who's been unfairly tarnished and maligned and situations happen to him. But I would actually put forward an alternative and have this as the original one where I realised that, oh, actually, uh, home nations, as they are for us the players, can go overseas. It didn't really happen very much. But Mr. Dean Saunders did it. Yes. And Mr. Dean Saunders did it for both of these clubs. And I think that was probably one of the first occasions I realised that that, it it does actually happen that way as well. Not just England buying foreign players, but foreign players from England going elsewhere. Yeah, so obviously Graham Souness um, had taken Saunders to Galatasaray. He'd come back, was playing for Forest. Then then I think he was at Sheffield United or Wednesday, one one of the Sheffield clubs. And then Souness takes over at Benfica. And two of his summer signings are Mr. Dean Saunders and Stevie Harkness, who he signed directly from Liverpool. Um, it was a, it was an interesting time in the history, the great history of Benfica Football Club, one one of the great clubs in Europe, where Graham Souness decided that a we'll call him past his prime. Dean Saunders at 34 years of age and uh, a, a rotation fullback from the Premier League were good enough to go and st- like, this would be the equivalent of I don't know uh, let's say Zidane taking over Liverpool and deciding that 
he was going to bring in Nacho, who I know you like, but bear with me, Nacho to replace Trent. And I don't know, like Roberto Soldado or Gerard Moreno as our new number nine. Moreno's probably too good to be in this comparison, but yeah, you know, who else is the road to... sort of range? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, the Dean Saunders derby. I like that. I think we'll go with that. It's the Dean Saunders derby. Um, poor Lazar, Mark. You want to test? I know that was that was a waste, and I don't think all of it was his fault. Probably was by the end, but I don't yes. think all of it was his fault to begin with. Um, I, I'm going to test you further. Two other players, in addition to the three we've now named, who have played for Liverpool and Benfica, and one of them also did the uh, the move under um, Graham Souness. Oh, um, oh, um. Michael Thomas. Very good. Michael Thomas, he made the move over there after playing for us, after previously being one of the most vilified people on Merseyside. And uh, the other one was much earlier on in his career, he played for Benfica and eventually joined Liverpool. And again, I would say very surprising circumstances. Raul Morales? No, way, way, way more niche a Liverpool player than Raul Morales, although of the same nationality, obviously. Oh, I actually have no idea. I'm trying to think of Portuguese players who've played for Liverpool. You know, there was a spell for Raul Morales where he was probably more known for quite bizarre hairstyles than his actual footballing ability. Yes. Well, that goes for this guy's entire career. Bizarre hairstyles. Mm. Abel Xavier. There you go. Abel Xavier, the other one. Yes, Abel Xavier, the world's most bizarre hair and beard combination. And the fact that we were actually a very good team at the time and decided that we needed to sign him from Everton is just so weird. And the funniest thing that I remember about Abel Xavier is he was being interviewed on, I want to say it was Sky Sports News, like the day or two days before the transfer went through when there was loads of speculation and he was stood outside Everton's training ground about to get in his car and all you can hear is somebody screaming, don't leave, Abel, don't leave. And the camera panned around and Gaza is hanging out of his upstairs window, (laughs) waving at him frantically, telling him not to leave. That's the only thing I really remember about Abel Xavier's Liverpool career. Magnificent story. Um, right, it wouldn't be right to allow Liverpool versus Benfica to just pass on by without discussing the greatest player who didn't play for both clubs, but played for one of them and was endlessly linked with the other, Simao. He joined... Benfica in 2001 after a failed move to Barcelona, uh, having left sporting as a a 19-year-old, went to Barca. It didn't work. He was too young. Joins Benfica. He stays there six years. And I would say 
for at least five of those years, he was linked with Liverpool in both the January and summer transfer windows. He went to Atletico Madrid. He continued to be linked to Liverpool. He went to Besiktas. I think he was 31 or 32 at the time, and they were still linking him to Liverpool. Uh, Simao, your thoughts on him as a player? And is it the one? Is it one of those that got away from us? Well, in a way, yes, because we were pretty close to signing him and it was circumstances from his club side, obviously, which stopped the deal going through. So, yes, it was. Um, I guess there was as a similar sort of crossover in terms of how close this deal was to getting done and the Lee Bowyer one. But whereas there was never really that much um, intent on his side, on Bowyer's side to do the deal, and eventually we kind of saw that and figured it out and pulled out of it as well, because why would you want a player who doesn't really want to come and join you? I think it was completely the opposite with this one with Simao. He was pretty keen to do the deal. He was on the plane, as it were, and uh, it was public pressure, which made the deal fall through, basically. So I really liked him. I actually very, very much liked him earlier in his career at Barcelona as well. Mm. Uh, there was a a crop of really young players around the similar sort of time at Barca who were like... Um, Gabri, I don't know if you remember him. He was like a, yeah. a right winger and a wing back that they used him for a while. Fabio Rockenbach was coming through similar sort of times. Simao Giovanni was there around that time as well. And all of these players were really, really talented. And it didn't really quite work with how Barca were at the time. This was not at the time of you know all the La Masia talents coming through and being this was pre uh, pushed into the first team. It? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was it was still at the time where Barca were trying to recover from one of the best eras that they've had and were really churning through the managers, churning through the goalkeepers. There was a period thereafter, around them, just after Vitor Baia, where they were like buying a new goalkeeper every year mm. because it just wasn't working for them. And if you're doing that at the back, you can obviously imagine that this was symptomatic of the issues that were throughout the team as well. Uh, so it was a really difficult period for them to try and overcome um, and integrate these younger players into the side. But I did really, really like him. I only mostly saw him in Champions League football at that time, European Cup football, Champions League football at the time. And he was always a player who kind of stood out with his on-the-ball ability, with his obviously, dribbling and, and sort of crossing as it was a lot more than uh, before I grew to mostly detest crossing from wingers and even wingers themselves when they were playing on that side of the pitch. But a different kind of football era at the time. And he was a very exciting player. And later on, when he was obviously a much more mature player and a, a more responsible player, he was a very hard worker too. He was a really important figure in the dressing room, obviously. Um, you rarely hear too many of the fans say anything bad about him at all. And probably not the greatest goal return in terms of the attacking positions he could get in and everything. But as an all-round attacking outlet player, yeah, I, I liked him very, very much. Yeah, he was. He was a, he was a quality player. And... Um... It, it, it's one of them, it's just, you know, you look back and you think, just, we, we just won the European Cup. If we could have added him into that team and kicked on again, maybe we could have made more inroads in the league over the next couple of years. There was obviously Danny Alves in around that time was quite close. We were linked to David Villa in around that time. There was always Pablo Weimar rumours, despite the fact that he and Benitez did not like each other at all. Um, who else was linked constantly in that time? Arda Turan. Was that maybe a bit later? Was was Arda Turan the one that sort of replaced Semau in the every single window rumours, or was that around the same time? I, I feel like it was, was later. Just after. Uh, yeah, I think it was just after, and then after Arda Turan, it was the whole 
uh, Christian Teo and Christian Teo. Just thinking about him the other day. Actually, he th- he's thirty now. Yeah, there was there was a, a Sevilla winger as well who we were linked with relentlessly, who was absolute crap, but he was yes. always linked with us and Spurs. The Argentinian. I, I feel like he was Argentinian. I don't know. Can't remember. Um, but yeah, there was there was always one that just would not go away. Christian Teo was an interesting one. I think he was nineteen at the time, and he was like, you know, this the next great. Lamassi a prod, uh, product and all of a sudden he's just a squad player for the rest of his career. Um, Diego Capel. Diego Capel, that is exactly who it was. Rubbish, Diego rubbish, Capel. absolute rubbish. <laughs> yeah, um, dreadful. Right, we will leave it at that. Give me your prediction for Liverpool versus Benfica in Lisbon on Tuesday night. I'm not giving you my prediction until you give me one of yours. And the one right. that I have for you is, as of today, today, yes. we're back with a full squad again. Cater back in training. Trent obviously back on the bench at the weekend. We have a full squad again. Now, last time this happened, I think it lasted one game. And then we yes. lost two in a week. And then I think a third one soon after that. How long, how many games are we going to have a full squad available for this time? Well, there's there's rumours that Curtis Jones has a little bit of a niggly ankle, so there's that. Um, yeah, but he was in training. But he was yes, in training, and, and Joel was in training as well with a golf ball on his head. Um, <laughs> yes. I would say we will have a full squad this time around for three games. This one, City, and the second Benfica game, and then somebody will miss the City Cup game. Through an injury. I hope you're not putting the uh, putting the mockers on someone important there. No, it'll be someone unimportant. It'll be someone. Oh, unimportant. good. That's fine then. Okay, fine. Well, so, one last thing: Harvey Elliott played for the 23s at mm. the weekend. Now, I think it's fair to say he has not looked right since coming back from the injury, and was sort of almost rushed into the start away to Inter Milan, didn't play all that well, came on in the cup final, didn't play all that well, but scored a great penalty. Do you think is this just that they've drawn back his development into the first team or is this sort of extra rehab that they're doing on the injury? Um... I'm not sure because they've never really given too many detailed updates on his injury. And I don't, I don't honestly think he would have come back to first team playing if he wasn't perfectly fine. But there's a big difference between being physically fine and being obviously at uh, your peak level. And you've got to remember that at the start of the season, everything's open. Like literally everything is open. After, after you've had a preseason, um, as long as you performed well and you're training well and you look quite sharp, you could just get a run. And he could have only been in the team like another month after that and then come out of the side anyway because it's not likely that he would have stayed in the team all the way through. Young players, they have issues with uh, consistency, with when they have little growth spurts and y- your touch is just very, very slightly off because your body's still catching up with the actual physics of the situation of your body being bigger. That can happen. That happens quite a lot in youth football, to be fair. Um he is still a very young player, so he's still got many of these things to contend with. But I think I would suggest that the bigger issue is simply that we're at a really, really important stage of the season and you need your most trusted and best players, best performing players available. And you have to pick them 
game after game after game. I said this about three weeks ago. I would expect as we got into April and in towards May, for that sort of two month, maybe 10 weeks period, I would expect us to have a starting pool of like 15 to 16 players. That's it. And, you know, one or two of them would simply have to fade away from that. And that's how it is, because you can't just keep rotating the whole of the squad coming on a sub and being in the squad and all the rest of it. Yes, but not for start and not for every when every single game is like literally you will win a trophy or you will not or you could win a trophy or you will not win a trophy if you drop points in that. It just doesn't happen. So it's quite natural that the manager gravitates towards a very, very much smaller core of starters and, you know, just is circumstantial that this year he's had to wait coming back. And I think that that's okay. You know, it's something that he'll probably benefit from next season and beyond having had uh, a benchmark for his own performances, if you like. That's where you need to get back to to be back in the team. And this is just a little bit of extra time, a little bit of extra pressure uh, off his shoulders and all the rest of it. You haven't got to do it too quickly. We're not relying on him as a starter. He hasn't got to come back into the team and immediately be great. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Right. I will predict for this game Liverpool to win 3 1. What about you? I'm going to go a little more conservatively, but I will go for. I'll go for 2 1. I was, I was tempted to go 2 0, but I'll go 2 1. Maybe just a, a moment from Darwin or something like that. I'll yeah, go 2 1, though. Hopefully, we win comfortably and Darwin shows out and Klopp falls in love with him. That would be the ideal. Uh, before we go, there is an article on liverpoolfc.com, the official club site. It's an interview with Simao, and it's entitled Simao, the Benfica legend who got away from Liverpool. And it's actually quite interesting. He tells the story of what happened. He was with the national team three or four days till the end of the window. He got a phone call at five o'clock in the morning. You need to come. We're going to Liverpool. He went to Luis Felipe Scolari, who at the time was the manager of the um, Portuguese national team, and they gave him permission to fly to England. He went to the office of his agent and the president of Benfica called him and said, we don't have a deal. You don't have permission to fly, so you need to stay. It's strange because I thought it was done, but when the president went home, he called me again and said, it's impossible to fly to Liverpool and get a new contract at Liverpool. You need to stay because if you sign for Liverpool, Benfica fans will be angry with me. Wow. So because the president didn't want to lose face, the player was forced mm-hmm. to stay. It is what it is. It happens more often, I think, than any of us will know. We'll leave it there, Carol. I will speak to you later in the week for Manchester City. Do you have anything coming out that you want people to be aware of? Oh, there'll be plenty of bits around the Champions League match and uh, before the weekend as well. So next time. Right. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy at Guy Drinkle. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index 
and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.